For today's episode, we're actually rebroadcasting an episode that we launched back in February with Ray Allen about how to engage or best engage with Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision, what he saw, what he desired, the dreams that he had, and how we can all participate and not just relegate Martin Luther King Jr. to the history books. So I'd love for you to to listen along and to engage in the conversation as we hear from Ray on engaging Martin Luther King Jr. once more. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Well, today on Everyday Theology, we have a bit of a special podcast, one that I'm super excited about, really just because I'm excited to have my friend in the room having a conversation with me in light of today being, well, at least when this gets released, it'll be Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and I've got my good friends who we kind of stop down the uh, walkways of Southeastern and we'll end up sp- spending two hours talking out of nowhere. We both have busy schedules and then we're just like talking. Uh, but my good friend, Ray Allen, who is uh, here to talk to us today about some thoughts and some ways to think about both today and also what it demands of us in the future. Uh, Ray, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Aaron, thank you. Uh, and as you said, yeah, it's good to have one of these conversations where we actually scheduled the time <laughs> yeah, to be able to talk about it. Ray, if you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself um, before we just jump in today. Yeah, sounds good, man. Um, I am uh, originally from Miami, Florida, uh, you know, came up to Central Florida to uh, do school, um, completed that and, you know, kind of fast forward, uh, currently serve as the director of multicultural affairs, um, at Southeastern university, um, in central Florida. Um, but the, I think the journey, uh, really has just been, you know, as a transplant, you know, kind of being, uh, coming from a booming town and community that's yeah. vibrant in culture and life, you know, et cetera, to, uh, to southeastern to Lakeland, um, to Lakeland. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. was not those things. We're getting better. Um, yeah, it's not, good. It, it is. It's getting nice, right? It's on a it's on a good journey. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, but having that kind of transformative climate, um, but then navigating that, you know, which yeah. I think hopefully we'll also, you know, we'll be able to unpack in today's conversation, you know, just how that the implications, you know, there um, as you as you journey, I think in America today. So yeah, and and. I think you have really good perspective in terms of, you know, last week we did one of our bump in hour long conversations and we were even talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Day and just more thoughts on, and and I continually learn from you on ways that I should be challenged and be thinking about things. And I'm so grateful. So if you can maybe talk to our listeners a little bit today and maybe express what you're thinking about when you're thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. Day and everything surrounding kind of this area, especially even as we lead into Black History Month, um, and maybe some thoughts on how we kind of need to move into the future with our thoughts in this and how what, what it actually means for us and how we need to enact it. Right. No, I think that it's good. Um, so, you know, for... For me, just even memories as like a young child, I I can recall, I mean, every year, I mean, you celebrated MLK and Black History Month and there's, you know, all this celebration, celebration, celebration. And at some point, um, you know, as you grow older, you you still hear about MLK and yes, you might attend a parade or, you know, whatever's happening maybe locally in your community. But um, being in the educational, um, you know, community, I just really begin to kind of take um, a, a, a care and, and a concern for um, what I was seeing in students as kind of the generations continued to come in. And what I begin to recognize was that um, MLK be began to become kind of like this historic figure, um, but in the sense of almost like a, a comic book hero, yeah, you know, wow. um, yeah. kind of, you know, likened to, you know, the Iron Man and the Avengers. And so yeah. it's like, oh yeah, that's a great person. 
but everything became so like, oh yeah, that happened. That was great. Yeah. That was good. And it was almost this idea that uh, MLK, his dream, what he was standing and what he died for kind of stopped in time, you know, when his life ended. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that for me became a concern because I'm like, well, if that stopped then, like, well, what are we doing now? And then how do we move forward? You know, and like you're saying, Aaron, you know, there is, I think, a huge need for us to be mindful of the gap that exists between um, the understanding of MLK as like this iconic figure that we kind of point to um, in the moments that I need to be encouraged yeah, or I need right. to persevere. Right. And what I really feel like if we understand the heartbeat of what MLK was expressing was that this, this dream was just a part of it. I mean, in some ways just quoting words, yeah. you know, from parts of his speeches, like it was a part of the American dream. So how are we still dreaming in that way today? And I think we have really kind of allowed ourselves to take a backseat to almost, I would say we've allowed MLK to kind of become memorialized in the museum. Yeah. And so we can right. visit it rather right. than like, I'm waking up today conscious of the fact that this dream has to become reality. How are my actions producing that? Which, which you can, ironically enough, right in Atlanta, you can go to the MLK right. junior like museum and see his house. I've, I've been there. It's, it's beautiful to experience, but at the same time, it does feel relegated. And I think that's something that we had talked about and I would love to hear your thoughts on is, you know, what happens when we take someone like that, like take someone who is really larger than life when you think back on him now mm -hmm. as for me, you know, not someone who experienced that time period only get to see the pictures and the videos and the speeches and read from him. It's a larger than life figure, but he's, like you said, relegated somewhat to a museum or relegated to a day. And it's almost like that's where we want to leave it. Right. And why, why, why do we want to leave it like that? And what do we need to do to actually really enact the vision that, uh, that he had? Yeah. So I think that the a part of the reason why it is easy to kind of relegate it to just that time period is because then we get to look at MLK, we can applaud, we can cheer, and we feel better about ourselves because oh, we're pointing yeah. to, yeah. hey, I'm in agreement with this, you know, this iconic figure who right. did something phenomenal, you know, with his life in the time that he had. And so I think it, it provides, you know, that positive lens for us to see ourselves through rather than I think the oftentimes, you know, what you what we don't talk about or what we don't often hear about MLK were the moments of challenge. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, when he's writing to pastors and, you know, and critiquing and challenging the fact that that the Christian community in, in a lot of ways allowed um, whether it was through, you know, ignorance or amnesia, like allowed, you know, these things to take place during a time when the Christian community should have stood with him. Yeah. And so, you know, I think when we can look at it and MLK can be distant, I feel more secure because it doesn't require anything of me. Right. When we have right. to look at it as, well, this dream has not been realized and it's I'm a part of the answer and the solution. That means it requires something of me. Now you're asking me to take a stand. You're asking me to devote my life to like you're right. asking something of me. Yeah. And I think that becomes the challenge today is what what is the ask that we are making when we think about like MLK and we we don't relegate his life to just, you know, this time period. I think today what that means is, are you willing to lay down your life like in the same way, you know, to really push for equality, to become a, a tangible, you know, aspect of, of what we live? That that's and that's so challenging, right? Like that's that's it's never comfortable. Mm -hmm. And and if I can maybe provide a biblical analogy in some sense, and the way that we kind of do it now is that you know so many of us as Christians we look towards Christ and we go, that's so beautiful that you would lay down your life for other people, right. for the world, right? And then when we're asked to lay down our life we, we kind of shy away, right? Yeah. Like we find a way out right. and yet, and yet we, we, you know, make a hero of Christ, which he, he is and he should be, but we don't actually follow in that same footstep. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like, because that's too hard. Right. It demands too much of me. So I, I can, I can go to church and I can applaud Jesus on a Sunday, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean that I actually have to do what Jesus did. Because look, I, I do it. I, I applaud it every Sunday, mm-hmm. right? And especially with this one, you get one day a year to actually uh, say there needs to be change. It reminds me. Like what you were saying reminds me a bit, you know, a couple of years ago now, the movie Get Out, mm-hmm. this uh, kind of narrative of, uh, you know, e- even for him, of, of someone who is progressive, who looked at a white person who looked and is having a conversation with an African-American and said, well, uh, you know, I voted for Obama. Obama was great. Right. Right. Almost as if like, see, I did it. I did it. I, I yeah. did it one time. I did something that celebrated the African-American community or uh, actually relegated power away from myself as a white person to someone who's African-American. Um, so I did it. I'm done now. Right. Like it's and I think I think what you're saying with with uh, MLK junior day is just that we do the same thing, right? We get to celebrate a day and feel good. Like, yes, I've, I've checked the box for, I have celebrated diversity for a day or celebrated the vision that he had for a day. And that means that tomorrow I'm good. I'm good. And it's even worse now, right now that we have, and not everyone does, but since a lot of people have off on, uh, on the day now it becomes more of like a, just a holiday. Like, yay, I get off. Yep. I don't even have to celebrate as much as I got to say, like, I don't have to go to work today. This is great. A hundred percent. A hundred. And, and you see kind of this hijacking of the narrative, you know, that essentially I believe what we were trying to honor, you know, during that day was the idea that this is so essential to America as a nation moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, as you're expressing, now it just becomes, well, I don't have to go to work today. So right. I can plan this or I can do this. And I get it. Like, that's great. Um, but the difficulty, you know, I think in in really saying yes to that kind of mission is the idea that, you know, I have I have an American dream. And when I live out my American dream, it hurts other individuals. Mm, yeah. And when I oh, think yeah. about the life of mm-hmm. MLK, it's like, okay, he was, you know, a, a man that, you know, at, at a dinner table heard God saying that this is what you are to live and to push and to, you know, spend your life kind of pursuing and to answer that call and then know that the result of that was going to be, I was looking, you know, for him, he's looking at, the, the white community, he's looking at those in power and he's saying to them, your American dream is hurting thousands yeah. of people. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Can you un- unpack that maybe a little bit more? Like, what does that mean to say, um, you know, that the, that you're, you're, you're attempting the American dream or my attempting the American dream inevitably when we're not thoughtful of it ends up hurting someone else's ability to follow that same dream. hundred percent. So, and to me, this is, it just kind of, you know, bleeds into, you know, what I felt like it was King's, you know, echoing, you know, message of equality. So the fact that, you know, my, my ideals and my desire for success and for, um, you know, uh, independence and, you know, the, this need to really produce and demonstrate that, Hey, look, as an American, this is what, and again, this is not, I I don't think that this um, message has anything to do with being anti-American. I think King's dream was that what is American is the fact that all individuals are equal. It's, it's the most American, right? Yeah. The most American way. Right. So, you know, as we, I think, pursue, you know, those things, my attempt and desire and, um, you know, the, the journey and the path in which I begin to kind of carve out my American dream at some point begins to limit, begins to kind of uh, cut off, you know, the opportunity for other individuals. And what I think becomes then un-American is my ability to look at that, to turn my head and say, well, I'm going to keep going anyway. Right. To me, when I think about, okay, what has happened in this nation historically, it's like, no, what what becomes American is the ability to say, no, there's space and there's home for you here. Right. And so that, again, you kind of mentioned it earlier, that exchange of power and the being able to kind of give those things up. I think that becomes really the best in us. 
And, and that's what I believe MLK was communicating. But again, like the, the, the difficulty, the challenge, um, and potentially my concern for our nation as we move forward is that that becomes lost when we can limit MLK to a day it's MLK's dream. Like right. it's not a part of who we are. It's just, Oh, it was, it was then it's not now. And what, what I hear, what I hear you saying so much. And, and I think this is, I mean, I think it's an issue that we all kind of deal with to some degree is this constant, um, constant choosing ourselves over someone else. Mm. Right. Whether it's it's my job, my money, my security, my my comfort, my whatever it is, it's it's for me and mine, regardless of how it affects you and yours. Right. Um, Because as long as we're okay, that's all that really matters. And and I, I struggle with that. Because of course we, we just deal with this like kind of balance, right? Like how do I take care of myself and also take care of the other? Mm-hmm. But the more I think that we read the Christian message, the more we keep hearing, don't worry about yourself. God's going to take care of that part of things. Right. You do what you should be doing and taking care of the other. Right. But, but it's so hard to get past that. I mean, it's hard for me. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, what are all the choices that I make on a day to day moment where I choose myself over someone else? Yeah. Right. And it's something that we have to work on. Right. It's something that we have. And I think that's the vision that you're casting. Right. Like the actual vision of and tell me if I'm wrong in hearing it. But one one of the actual visions of uh, celebrating this day is actually recognizing like when we all choose the other, everyone wins. Yeah. A hundred percent. When we all choose ourselves, inevitably everyone loses. Yeah. We might think that we're winning, but actually we're losing when we choose ourselves. Now you, you are, I mean, it's spot on. I think about, um, you know, just different moments that I've had and even just in the community, you know, as I've been out in the community and connecting with individuals and you watch moments where, um, you know, whether it is some of our homeless community and when you begin to sit down and you connect with them and you watch moments where even in their greatest need, they find ways to give to those around them. Right. Yeah. And it just, it's mind blowing because you look at that and you think to yourself, well, okay, like, like you have, you have great needs. Yeah. Like there's no doubt about it, but in the midst of your great need, you can only think about the other. Well, then what's happening as I, you know, as I grow and as I, you know, gather my independence and my wealth, like as I do those things, like what am I also like giving up, Yeah, you know, on that journey where, as you mentioned, like me, myself and I becomes kind of the, the highlight of my life and the idea that someone else would be in need. I can, I can find reasons to excuse why I should, why I should help. I find reasons to blame why they are responsible for, Yeah, you know, and you kind of go down that list and everything is a possibility except for you actually like aiding. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, by a guy named Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. I mean, it's wonderful, you know, $10 on Amazon, <laughs> change your life type of book. And, and partially because Viktor Frankl, being a Jew in the time of World War II, he has this experience where he's in the concentration camp. He gets separated from his wife and his child, recognizing he's never going to see his wife and his child again. But he's also a psychologist. And so he's literally kind of engaging with kind of his psychological practice in the concentration camp, like, mm-hmm. which blows my mind that someone can, you know, even think like, well, to, to survive this, I'm going to actually like enact my discipline here where I'm at. Right. Um, but he talks about these experiences, uh, which lended him towards his psychological practice because he ends up surviving and, and, you know, having a life outside of the concentration camp. Um, though I don't, he, he, as he described it, maybe his wife and child survived, but there was no way to reconnect, but they didn't like, there's no way. Um, but he makes this claim and he, you know, he's, he's evaluating people around him and he's trying to figure out who actually survives, like who survives a concentration camp. And for him, surviving didn't mean bodily. 
it actually meant intact as a human person. Mm -hmm. And so he describes this experience that he has where there would be someone in the concentration camp, another, another Jewish person in the concentration camp who is on their last like moments of life. Like you can, he's like, you, you eventually were there long enough that you could tell like this person, like this is it, like they're done. Uh, they're, they're about to die because of these horrible conditions. And he said, you could tell the difference between the people who would wait for that moment to recognize that that person no longer has any strength. And now I'm going to go take all their clothes and their boots. Like I'm going to take what I can to help me survive just Mm -hmm. another day. Um, just because I need to survive another day. And then he kind of, you know, he makes this statement and go, but the people who actually survived, like they might have survived the concentration camp, but the people who actually survived like mentally and intact Mm -hmm. and as human beings and people, were the people who in the, the I, I don't even want to call it the soup line, but, you know, when it was maybe when they got a meal for the day, what she describes as, you know, like a little tin cup of water that you were lucky to get the pee at the bottom. Like if you got a pee, it was like a, your birthday, he yeah. describes, and a quarter-sized piece of bread. And he said the people who survived were the people who took their bread or took their little water, warm water and gave it to someone else who needed it more than them. Right. And, and that blows my mind. And, and this is Frankel's way of saying, like, those are the people who said, yes, everything around them is telling them you, you, need to, you need to preserve yourself. You need to find out how you can survive, if that means taking from someone else, if that means uh, finding ways to make sure that you weren't the one going out into the hardest labor parts of the camp. Like, however you could do it, you do it to where you could survive. And he said that was the, those were the people who didn't because they actually let their their circumstances define what it meant to survive right. rather than choosing their own way. And as he kind of says it in his fancy way, like being able to make your own choices amidst the limiting factors of your life, being able to say no when everything else is saying you should, you have to. Um, and to me, I think that casts a vision more even for what we're talking about today. Like that is the that vision is- of what, it really means, yes, to be American, but even more so to be Christian, which if we're doing that, then we are enacting the vision that we get with MLK Jr. and everything that he tried to do rather than relegating him to a museum on the sidelines saying, well, thanks for your work. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I 100% agree with everything you shared. And I, I do. I think that was the the place that we saw MLK really providing um, and humanizing, you know, all mankind, Yeah, you know? And so the, the easy part I think for us is again, as we can relegate him to time pass, it's our, you know, it's our, it's our free pass, you know, it's our ability to look at that time, look at that moment, but then to look at the people around us. And as much as we want to be Christ-like, I can still live and act in a way that communicates to you that we are not equals. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, like, do I really, like, do I really care? Am I really concerned for you? Right. And again, the complication with that is that's everything that we are not, (laughs) you know, supposed to be as, as Christians. So I think that we have to really today, I think there is a call to redefine the way that we have kind of looked at MLK and his dream um, and to really uh, begin to be more intentional about understanding the the small portion of, you know, th- that the dream in comparison to kind of the, the lengthy dream that we see as, as believers, Yeah, you know, to recognize that, okay, that the, the greatest thing, you know, that I can, can provide for someone else may not necessarily like be, Oh, I was a great model for you. Yeah. Maybe the greatest thing that I can provide, you know, I think about, you know, uh, as Peter's walking through the gate, you know, it's like that story, like I feel like jumps out of the, off the pages because the idea is that, well, there are a lot of things that he could have said. Yeah. But man, he stopped and was intentional enough to one humanize someone to say, Hey, I see you sitting there. Right. And I think the power that you are providing to someone else in that moment, that's something I think we have the ability to give people every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in doing so, and, you know, taking this, this lame man and actually, you know, through the power of Christ, healing this person, having him made the temple go nuts. Right. 
because it literally said the power that you once thought you had temple isn't actually found in the temple. It's found in the person of Christ. And then the temple is pissed and throws them in jail, right? right? Like, no, like, no, you can't. Like, this is not, you can't do that. You are, you are, you are, you are disrupting the status quo, the thing that, that we believe, the thing that we hold to, the thing that's given us everything that we think that we have. And that, that is Christ, right? Constantly like pushing against that status quo that we keep thinking, we keep building, we keep creating, we keep crafting our own little kingdoms. And every time that we do it on our, like create our own kingdoms, Christ comes by and says, that's not where this is. Yep. Yeah. But do we have the ears to hear or the eyes to see and go, oh yeah, let me tear down these kingdoms that I've built up for myself and go back to this. Yeah, man. And I wish that I could say, yeah, we have the ears to hear because I mean, realistically, when we look at our, you know, the history of our nation, you know, in some ways we kind of paused, um, you know, somewhere I would say around, you know, 80s, 90s, because we like we had solved this issue. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, no, you know, MLK's life and, you know, rights have been given to, you know, to women to vote and, you know, desegregation of schools. Although unfortunately, you know, things like that. Um, I mean, in Florida, it wasn't until like the seventies, you know, that that actually like happened, (laughs) you know? So when we think about like, when we think about all of those things and we take that into, you know, into context, and then we think about where we are currently, you know, there's this thought of, well, where did this all come from? Well, for whatever reason, we thought that the idea of, of providing, you know, that life to someone else could, again, it could be relegated to just this one moment. Right. And there was no like responsibility daily to ensure that we are protecting, you know, now this ability to give and we are being intentional to continue to give. Yeah. So yeah, it it just, it really becomes interesting because I think now when we think about it are the steps that we have to take now to look at a gap that I think, you know, it's almost like we fill it in with dirt and we thought we were good. And then we started to realize, Oh, well the dirt's all gone. And now there's this massive gap. (laughs) Yeah. What are we doing? And and so much of it, if if I can say so much of it's implicit too in, and just for my own story, right. Cause being born in the eighties, being more conscious in the nineties, right. right? Never hearing about racism, never hearing about, uh, about struggles between African-American communities in America and white communities in America, never hearing any of it, just, but hearing about MLK Jr. And like, Oh good, we did it. We, we, it's done. Like, this is great. Um, and then, then we have nine 11 happen. And, and for my own story, the, the, the first time it really hit me wasn't even in America, how implicitly I was taught to look at the other Mm. and be suspicious or look down upon or, or anything. Cause you know, nine 11 happens and all the news is constantly talking about Middle Easterners and jihadists and how they all want to kill you and how they're all evil. It's this evil area all together. And, and so you know, my first year going to my, um, my university that I attend for my PhD in the UK, Mm -hmm. it's a highly populated area of Middle Easterners. And it's probably one of my first nights there. I don't even remember exactly what night, but I I had to go find food. It was the evening time. So I was like walking down to this area that I knew there were a bunch of restaurants. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find some food. And I find myself smack dab in this area that is predominantly Middle Eastern and out of nowhere, I find myself being afraid. Like hmm. I just fearful. Like I'm seeing people that don't look like me. Right. You know, I'm in England, so you know, English, everything's fine, right? Like in terms of that. But I'm seeing people who don't look like me. And I find myself just afraid in a weird way. And I had to stop in that moment and I forced myself to just stop and go, why do I feel this way? Yeah. Why is this happening? And I recognized how much culture and news and media and the discussions around that had actually forced me to look at someone who is Middle Eastern and go, you are evil. You're out to get me. Right. And it's something I had to repent and apologize for and literally still work against to go, wait a second, this is not right. This is not good. This is not whole. Everything about this is bad. Um, but I, it was implicitly taught. Yeah. Right. Like it's not, 
I didn't set out to go, ah, oh, I hate Middle Easterners. They're the worst. Like never, never once happened, but it just happened that I was there. And, and, you know, and I, and I still think of that story today as a way of going, where in me do I have these implicit areas that I've never, I've never been exposed to in the sense of like, it's been given to me in the forefront, which is why I appreciate conversations with people like you, Ray, where it can be like, Hey, no, (laughs) right. That's not a good way to think because there's so much, I think, ingrained in all of us that we don't, we're not able to see because we're afraid to have conversations with someone else who's different. We're afraid to have a convert. We're afraid to find ourselves in areas that are uncomfortable because it might actually ask us to change Mm. and we don't want to change. We just want to stay. Everything's fine right now. (laughs) I'm comfortable where I am. Everything works. Why am I going to go out and is that, you know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, when we talk about you know, just this aspect of what systems and structures and what happens when your life pushes against them, you know, as you mentioned, you know, what happens, you know, to Peter, that they're t- thrown in jail. What happens to MLK? Like, I mean, at the, the, at the center of it all to say yes to remembering what has been done, a dream like MLK's to say yes to that yeah. and to live that out is to say, I am going to challenge and push against and interrupt the systems and structures that are in place. Yeah. And to challenge power. Yeah. Yeah. Comes with a cost, you know, it, it is a reality. And as you said, I think that unfortunately though, we have, we have really become very lax um, and very, I think we've allowed it to become very palpable that we would subside rather than find ourselves saying, no, this isn't right. Yeah. No, this is not the way to live. There's a different way. There's another way. And I think that is the challenge that has to be kind of redug, you know, and really kind of presented again is that as Christians, we do not have the option. This isn't an optional thing that as a, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, this is the responsibility of, um, I was at a March in DC and, um, my wife and I were walking behind a group of young people and it was, it was the, it was just an amazing moment because we're listening to their conversation. And at some point, uh, one young lady says to someone else, she said, where are all the Christians? Like, aren't these like standing up for people and their rights? Like, isn't that what Jesus did? Right. And I'm thinking to yeah. myself, like when, when the world can understand that about Jesus, yeah, that he, he wasn't, he wasn't here to take your side or to take my side, but no, he stood up for those that did not possess the ability to do for themselves or those that were oppressed or, you know, the out, like he stood in that space to say, Hey, no, this isn't right. Right. And they can see that and call that out. And they're asking the question, Hey, where, where are you? Then to me that I think that has to become a moment, like you said, where we have to have ears to hear what's being communicated. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons why I, I listen to a lot of podcasts from people who call themselves ex-evangelicals or people who aren't Christian at all mm-hmm. uh, and never have been um, because I like to hear their critique of the church, mm-hmm. not because I'm like, yeah, let's tear down the church. Right. Let's just get rid of it. But because if evangelism is truly going to be evangelism, we actually have to listen to the people who are trying to evangelize too. And and this is what happens when we flatten evangelism to this overly simplistic evangelism is about getting you to accept Jesus and and nothing more. Then what evangelism becomes is how do I, how do I convince you to be like me? And evangelism is not so much about, um, we've, like I said, we flattened it. We've kind of gotten rid of the aspects of like evangelism is standing up for somebody else. That, that is evangelism. You can't, you can't talk about Christ standing up for the world if you can't stand up for your neighbor. It, it doesn't work, right? 
And as much, and especially as this day and age that we're kind of going into, and if you, you follow both theological trends and cultural trends and just where we are in America, especially mm-hmm. the idea of trying to tell someone about this reality that if you sin and everyone sins, then you're going to hell. So just get Jesus and you'll be okay. That kind of quick, simple gospel message has been heard so much already in America that trying to actually tell people that gospel message is becoming, is falling now on deaf ears, Mm -hmm. but partially because we've never actually paired it with the message of Christ is, is, is being a part of the kingdom of God. It's being a part of heaven. It's it's being a part. And this looks like standing up for someone else that no one else cares for. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's littered. I think it's, it's, you find it littered all through the, the message and life of MLK. Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, that, like you're saying, that idea of communicating and sharing who, not only who we are, who Christ is, what he actually desires from humanity, you know, as a whole and speaking to that as a whole, um, and understanding, you know, even as MLK, uh, I mean, oftentimes, you know, we only kind of catch the glimpses of, we want to hear about his dream and, you know, we want to know like the things that, uh, that happened that did not cause confrontation with the lives around them, but for a church community that was, you know, homogenous and then to move into, and again, even to say that, and it's like, and that was how many years ago? Yeah. And we still mm-hmm. are in the same places, yeah. <laughs> you know, in those areas. It's like at some point, like we detached from MLK's dream because I think there's something in that dream that challenges us to change the way that we see the kingdom, the way that we see Christ. Yeah. And I think if we're going to truly be a demonstration of that on this earth, we have to re-engage with what MLK communicated. Yeah. And especially as being someone who was a pastor, Mm. someone who was engaged in the church, someone who's engaged with people to say, this is the vision of Christ. Like in in some sense, MLK's vision uh, vision is actually just the vision of the gospel. hundred percent. Right. Yes. Like it's, it's his reading of the gospel and saying, Hey, we've missed this. This yeah. is the gospel. This is a part of the gospel message that has just been ignored and to the detriment of millions. Right. And why are we not working to restore the gospel? Right. right? right. Bef- before we, before we run out of time, I do want to ask, especially with your role here at Southeastern, um, where do you find the ways or what are the things that you're working on here that is helping recast this vision? So others who may be listening to this can have some ideas and thoughts about what, what is our way forward in, you know, this all sounds nice and everything, but how, how do we actually do it? Like what, what is the way in which we engage with these, uh, with the problems that we've created by relegating MLK to the to the history books. Yeah, no, I think this it's uh, it's the it really is the great question. You know, at the at the end of the day, at some point we have to move to action and practice. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's that's the real uh, you know, that's the hot seat where you know, you really have to make the conscious choices and decisions to become okay with being uncomfortable. Um, to become, you know, okay with not having, uh, to not possessing all of the power, even in the way of intellect. Yeah. Because a lot, I think a lot of these conversations move into that space where, well, I don't feel like I know. So because I don't know, I don't go. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it, it really has to be, you know, the practice of looking at, okay, are there individuals in my community specifically that I connect with that think different Culturally, you know, whether it is ethnically, gender, I mean, you can go through kind of all of the primary, secondary, you know, diversity layers and levels, and you can kind of walk through all of those things. If those things do not exist in your circle, you cannot practice. You can't. You can't practice the actual idea of for someone that is like the other this is what it looks like. Yeah. This is what it looks like to have conversation, to engage, to listen. 
So it has to be an intentional effort to say, I'm going to connect with, or I'm going to sit with, or I'm going to go to, you know, this space. And, and, and find people who are smarter than you in that discussion. Yeah. Just like what you said, if you don't know, you don't go, well, then find someone who actually knows or find someone who engages with, like me coming to you. You're, you, you're, you think about this much more than I do. And I'm so appreciative that you do, because now I get to come to you and say, Ray, what do I do? What's the, what's the way, what's the way forward? How do I engage? Um, because, you know, academics, sometimes we like our four walls <laughs> of our office and we like to close the door and read and think and write. Right. And, you know, yeah. But at the end of the day, we, we don't often go, especially if things that we don't know. Mm. And I think one of the best things to do is to find someone in your community, like you were saying, who is thinking about this, who might be different, who might have different thought processes and go and learn. Yeah. Because if you, if you're going to say, well, I'm not going to go until I understand well, how, how much oh, are you man. actually trying to go understand? Well, and it, to me, that kind of ties into, you know, one of King's, um, a book that was titled, uh, you know, how long must we wait? Like it, it becomes yeah. that, like that at the end of the day, like I have to wait until you determine that you feel you are ready or you would like to. Right. And again, what you see kind of built in that there's this power structure that exists, which is I don't get to to invest or engage or be included until you decide yeah. that you're ready to. Where's the hope? So when I say like, you know, what are you doing here on yeah. campus? Uh, where do you see hope? Where do you see, um, you know, the, the positive kind of changes that are happening? How are you kind of helping influence those positive changes? So yeah. maybe whether it's a pastor who's listening or, you know, just someone who is communally engaged, like what are some helpful ways to, like what are the things that you're doing that maybe some people can glean off yeah. and go, we can, we can do something like so this? So I would say um, one thing, the hope lies in the hurt. So I think we have mm. to recognize like that rather than looking somewhere else to find a solution, yeah. like we have to turn around and we have to look at this place of hurt to say, okay, there's hope in this hurt. We have mm. to get in there and we yeah. have to find it, mm -hmm. you know? And so in the, the, those moments of hurt, I think even for myself, what I'm finding is that as I'm creating space to listen, engaging others, you know, whether that is in conversation, sometimes it's just going and literally being a part of their world to not come in with my own ideas or thoughts about, but really just to come in and say, okay, you tell me, what am I to do? Yeah. How should I listen? Yeah. What should I say? What can I learn? Um, there's a, and, and to me, that is the disarming of all of the, the, the implications, the hurts, you know, the microaggressions. I mean, all of the things that have happened, those things have a tendency to fall to the wayside when you humble yourself in the eyes of someone else. Mm, and I think a yeah, lot of our conversations, yeah. when we engage in even just the, you know, the work of kind of crossing the lines, when yeah. we engage in that, we are coming to the table with our own agendas, with our own thoughts about how, or we just, we just want to pull from and then take it somewhere else so that we can make it something rather than like, I'm here for the sake of you are a human being and I need to know you. Mm. So let me lay down Gosh, everything yeah. that I've conceived, everything that I've thought, even my biases, like the whole nine to sit in the space to say, Hey, I need to listen to you Yeah, now teach. So, and, yeah. and I love it because, you know, what I see happening even here are you creating these spaces for people to have those conversations, like actually being intentional with, hey, let's spend time right. connecting with the other. Let's spend time connecting with someone who might think differently. Let's spend time to someone who might look differently or have a different life experience right. and listen. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, for me... It blows my mind when I recognize just how much I never listened when, you know, especially with going on, you know, when we think about, and it's a very hot topic. So like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if we should do like a hot topic alarm on the podcast, you know, <laughs> like, Oh no, something big is coming up. <laughs> but you know, for, for me, you know, for, for some time, especially with, you know, the tensions happening between police and African-American communities mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. At first I never understood because when, and, and I've, <laughs> I've been pulled over a few times for speeding. I do like to go not the speed limit. It's not a good Understand. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was never once afraid of getting pulled over. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of the ticket 
because growing up, my family did not have very much money at all. And so like that made me afraid to go, oh no, like I'm, I'm about to get just whooped hard right. for getting a ticket. Yeah. And I mean, not at that time, I was a little bit too old for that, but I, <laughs> things were going to happen right. for me, you know, coming home with a $200 ticket, right. but I was never once afraid of the person who was walking up to my car mm. ever. Yeah. Right. And I, so I always thought, why, 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 why would someone who's African-American, why would someone be afraid of it? I mean, the police officer's doing his job, but it wasn't until I actually spoke with people and their experiences. Mm. And especially now with the amount of like videos that you can see of this, of people who are doing exactly what they're told to do. And yet things just go insanely awry out of nowhere to recognize that that fear is not an unjustifiable fear. Right. Right. And to recognize that while I may not be fearful of it, how do I help? How do, how do I speak up to say, hey, something isn't right here. We've got to do better at this. And until we do that, until we listen to someone else, and it really was friends of mine who shared experiences with me. And for me to apologize, to go, I'm so sorry that I, I was so ignorant because I, I, I was blissfully ignorant. I wanted to be ignorant, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to pretend like there was no problem because yeah. it was easier that way, right? right? right. Um, but to actually say like, thank you for sharing your story. Now I get to understand that pain. I get to, and, and I get to see that hope because there's going to be hope in that we can do better right? and that we're going to work to do better. But that's going to challenge the status quo. It is. And it takes all of us. And I th- again, and I think that's the the piece that MLK constantly kind of came back to was the fact that, you know, it's going to take all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no better vision than us working together on it. Right. I mean, that's, that is being a part of the people of God. Yeah. Hands down. Right. The community of the people, the kingdom of however, whatever, whatever, you know, metaphor you want to right. put, biblical yeah. metaphor you want to put to it. It was always this idea of people communally enacting the vision of the kingdom together. Not one, not a pastor, right. not a lay right. person, nope. not the best volunteer ever in the church, not the one person who's out in the community, every Everyone. single person together working on it um, and not relegating each of us to our own little areas and say, well, great. You work on that. I'm going to go work on getting someone saved. No, they're, they're, they're mutually connected. Right. You can't have one without the other. Right. You can't get someone saved without actually being a part of your community and challenging the ways in which sin and evil have, have ripped communities apart. Right. That's not, you can't do that. You know? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Every time, Ray, every time we talk, I'm challenged. I want to be different. I learned so much. I appreciate you. I I could not imagine not having you as a part of our community, uh, let alone helping find ways to have other people engage with what you're saying. Because I think, yeah, I I don't, there are many, many issues in our world, but this is one that is so problematic that we have yet to really, really engage with. Mm Uh, deeply. And so I'm so thankful that you would come and speak with me, uh, help me challenge me and also help our listeners kind of think of a new way of a new vision for the way forward. Yeah, no. And, and Aaron, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for, you know, sharing in this moment, but again, just the constant conversations. And I think that's the, it's that consistency that I think has really like given us something special to share, you know, as we engage in that. Um, and that becomes the hope, you know, that regardless of whether we disagree or agree, I know that there's a consistency that, man, we, we come together and we talk, we discuss, we share, and we both learn and grow. Yeah. Hey, um, how can people, whether it's connect with you or just what are some resources, some people that we can leave the listeners with that to kind of go, if you want to, you know, be thinking and be mindful of this and hopefully you do like, what are some things, whether it's connecting with you or some books that you know of or some podcast, whatever it is that can help people keep engaging in this. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, Man, the book list is, I think, immense. Um, <laughs> but I think some good places to um, to start. Um, you know, I, obviously, I think um, Just Mercy is a is a great place um, to start. Um, just as a, a way to begin to think about the other, 
Um, there's another book that um, listeners may or um, may not have heard of, um, but it's called The Ark of Justice. Um, but it shares the story of a young man that kind of um, lives in the South, like literally in Bartow. So like huh, yeah, wow. 15 yeah, miles us, away yeah. from mm-hmm. us, um, ends up kind of moving up north, um, is extremely intelligent, becomes a doctor. Um, and But just the journey, the, yeah. the trials, um, but then also I think this desire and hope for better and better future. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some great, um, starts, um, podcast wise, um, voices that I, I really, um, man, I just love right now. Um, uh, propaganda has, um, a, a podcast called, uh, the red couch. And so him and his wife, um, they just share uh, just a lot, a lot of great perspective, um, just on life and culture, um, and those connections. Um, I also, um, I, I tap into, um, Q and again, so trying to kind of even diversify my circles, you know, in those community of voices and listeners, um, the, uh, Q media has uh, just some great voices. I think from the Christian community that are really like tapping into hard, like how are we actually transforming culture um, and community? Um, Daquan was, uh, is one of those individuals. Um, man, I think there, I just feel like there are so many, it's hard to create a top 10 list. Um, I mean, we have mutual friends. Um, I know that I, I enjoy the challenge. Um, but I would also, you know, I would, share with readers, like to be prepared for what you're going to hear. Yeah. Um, because you're not stepping into a space where, um, someone is anti who you are, but you're stepping into a space where they're saying we can be better than we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think your mindset has to be prepared to engage and kind of move in that direction. Um, if you're going to begin to kind of unpack that, um, because if not, you know, it's, you'll feel like you're ramming your head into the wall, Yeah, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) you know, because you, you want this immediate change. Um, and it takes, it takes time. It's a journey. It's like going out on a run for the first time of your life and you for the next four days, you just can't walk, right? Like, or why did I do this? You know, you ran half a mile and you can't breathe and your legs are destroyed. Yes. It, you know, going to the gym for the first time. Uh, I've had that one experience where I went, you know, f- to the gym for the first time, went way too hard and I couldn't bend my arms for yep. a week. Right. Like yeah. it, it, it is kind of that experience. I think at first, when you first start listening to someone who is definitely the other, right. right? Some, someone who is on the opposite side of something, it gets so uncomfortable that maybe you're like, well, maybe I don't want to run anymore. Maybe I don't want to run because my legs hurt too much. But the more you do it, the healthier you become, the longer you can run, you know, life becomes better uh, when we do that. Yeah. And I I I think a great way to do it, find a friend that you can unpack something with. I mean, whether it's literature, poetry, I mean, you don't have to go into like the heavy reading. Yeah. You you can find some, I mean, Zora Neale Hurston, I mean, James Baldwin. I mean, you can find works out there that you can go through and unpack with a friend that can begin to help you not only read the literature, but then begin to unpack, okay, well, how, what does this mean for you? What does this look like, you know, to you? And how did you experience this? Um, And I think that's a great way way to begin, you know, that journey. Yeah. Well, Ray, again, love you, man. Appreciate you being here with us. Uh, excited for the things that you're doing, uh, this week, since it's really, we're recording this beforehand, but when people are listening this week, that, uh, uh, the week of MLK day and, um, excited to see how we keep, uh, and specifically you, especially that our community keep pushing things forward and I'm here to help however I can. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks.